0: please remain standing with me and pray. Father, we are so grateful for the grace and mercy that you have shown to us in your son Jesus and by the powerful working of your spirit that has wrought new life in us. And so we commend ourselves to you this morning and ask that you would feed that new life evermore through your word and through the blessed grace that you give us in your son Jesus Christ. And so we commend ourselves this morning to your love and care. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. We're in the middle of a series of sermons in which we're thinking with the scriptures about the future of Christ church. And this fall in particular, we're drilling down into who we are as a church and as followers of King Jesus. And we've been unpacking an answer to the following question. What does it mean for us to be a Christian church, deeply rooted in Christ and in Winston-Salem for the glory of God and for the life of our neighbors? And we began answering this question by going straight to the core, to the heart of who we are about four weeks ago. This is who we are. We are a Christian church, meaning we are a group of people who through repentance And faith are responding to and gathering around the gospel, that magnetic center of the good news that in Jesus, God's kingdom has come. And so for today, we're going to move past that on the foundation of that. And today and next Sunday, we are going to look at what it means to be a Christian church that seeks the glory of God and the life of our neighbors. This statement, Seeking the Glory of God and the Life of Our Neighbors, holds together two core dimensions of the Christian life, the vertical, our relationship with God, and the horizontal, our relationship with the world. We hear these two dimensions in the way that Paul addresses his letters to the churches, those who are both in Christ and in Philippi, or and in Colossae in Rome, in Corinth, in Winston-Salem. And we just recited these two dimensions in Jesus' summary of the law. Love God, the vertical dimension, and love your neighbors as yourself, the horizontal dimension. And we hear these two dimensions again in our gospel lesson from John chapter 3. In this passage, a man named Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. Nicodemus is no random person, no backwaters kind of guy. He's a leading intellectual and one of the top theology professors in all of Israel of his time. And he has some questions to ask Jesus about what has just been taking place at the temple. If you read John chapter 2. But before he can ask them, he's setting up his questions, he's acknowledging the person he's talking to, but before he can ask his questions, Jesus interjects and goes straight to it all. He cuts through it all and makes This profound and startling claim in verse 5. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. The language here of being born of water and the Spirit is baptismal language that's clear from John's gospel and the surrounding context. All around this passage in chapter 1 and in chapter 3, we encounter references to baptism such as Jesus' own baptism in the water of the Jordan, in which the Spirit of God descends upon him from his Father. Entrance, this is Jesus' claim, entrance into the kingdom of God then, uh, by means of water and the Spirit, is not a rejection of the stuff of this world. This world is still God's good creation, though enslaved to death and decay. It's why water is used in part. Conversely, entrance into God's kingdom is not merely a spiritual enterprise or pursuit done absent or in disregard to the physical world. Rather, entrance into God's kingdom deeply involves the stuff of this world, like water, like our bodies, and the stuff of heaven, like the Spirit of God. What stands behind Jesus' words here is his understanding that the kingdom of God means the Spirit empowered regeneration, the renewal of the whole creation, not just our lives. Listen to Jesus' words in Matthew 19, verse 28. This is pretty remarkable. He says there, truly I say to you, in in the ESV it says, in the new world. The translation there, it's literally in the regeneration. In the regeneration, in the new world, when the Son of Man, that's a reference to Jesus, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne. Notice how the regeneration of this world is intricately woven together in Jesus' thinking with his reign as king over God's kingdom, which is this world made new. And so at the heart of the kingdom of God is the spirit-empowered regeneration of the entire creation, over every square inch of which the risen Christ (coughs) reigns as king. And as we know in the Gospels, this cosmic regeneration, this worldwide renewal began with Jesus himself. When after his death on the cross, he was raised by the power of God's spirit from the dead to new bodily life. His dead body was the first bit of this new creation, which was literally regenerated, returned to life, to new life. That's why his ascension into heaven is so important us. Because a part of this world is right there beside the throne of God. And when Jesus ascends into heaven, he pours out the spirit of God upon the 120 disciples in Jerusalem, giving birth to the church. That's why that's so important is because a part of heaven is now with us and dwells us and is among us. There's been this overlap. This exchange, Christ in human form, human body at the right hand of God. Now we have the down payment of the new creation, the spirit of God that dwells inside of us. Each member of the church, the body of Christ, is born from above. That's the language, often in our translations it, it said born again, but the Greek there is, it's, it's, both meanings of the word is in play. Born again and born from above there in John chapter 3 verse 3. Each member of the church is born from above through water and the Spirit of God in their baptisms. Paul teaches this clearly in Titus chapter 3 verses 4 and 5 when he states, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, so when Jesus came on the scene, he saved us. Picking back up, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, But according to his own mercy, and here's how Jesus saves us, by the washing of regeneration. The same word that Jesus uses in Matthew 19. The regeneration. He will rule over all of creation, that cosmic regeneration. How how does Jesus save us? He saves us by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Water and the Spirit. I know this is teachy, so strap your... Your student belt's on. <laughs> Through baptism, involving water and the Spirit, God saves us, bringing us into his kingdom, giving us eyes to see his kingdom work in the world now. Right? That's why it's so important in verse 3 when he says, you must be born again so that you can see the kingdom. And if you read through John's gospel, that becomes evident when you come to John chapter 9, and Jesus confronts a man born blind, and he sees the kingdom. And who doesn't see the kingdom in there? The people who know all about it from the Old Testament. They're blind as bats to the presence of the kingdom in their midst. Through baptism involving more water in the Spirit, God saves us bringing us into his kingdom, making us a part of his work of new creation, his work of worldwide regeneration. Now, please don't misunderstand me here. All that I have been talking about to this point, the scriptures identify as the work of God, the work of God, the work of his grace. And it is this good news kingdom work of God's grace that we respond to. This is our side of the coin, In repentance and faith. Being born anew, being born from above by water and the Spirit means coming to faith. And faith is the primary way the Spirit's life-giving work manifests itself in our lives. Faith here, of course, involves not only belief in who Jesus is and what he says, but also an active trust in him and an allegiance, a loyalty to him, a faithfulness to Jesus all of what the New Testament talks about faith, all that is involved in it. It is the great delight then of the Spirit of God to open sinners to the reality of what God has done in Christ, to open their eyes to the kingdom that's in their midst. Remember, the kingdom of God is in Jesus coming on earth. In him, through him, the kingdom of God is broken out. And so it's the great delight of the Spirit of God to open sinners to the reality of what God has done in Christ and through the response of repentance and faith to enable us to enter God's kingdom. This reality is what leads Paul in a passage like 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 to say, therefore if anyone is in Christ, and that's the location we're placed through baptism, as Paul teaches in Romans chapter 6, if therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold the new has come. New creation, the regeneration has come. What we've been longing for, what the prophets like Isaiah, at the end of Isaiah and Isaiah 65, these these images of the new heavens and new earth, that is here now through the redemption of Christ. And what is one of the defining characteristics of the new creation kingdom of God? It is the reconciliation of the earthly physical dimension of our reality that has been marked and marred by the effects of human rebellion, which enslaved it to evil, death, and decay. It is the reconciliation of this earthly, physical dimension with the heavenly, spiritual dimension of our reality. Paul follows up in 2 Corinthians 5 by doing what? If you know the passage, we are now ambassadors of this message of reconciliation. And of course, it's reconciliation with us as humans, errant humans with God, but it's more than that. It's beyond that. It involves that, but it flows out to all creation. Indeed, all creation is seeking to be reconnected with heaven. The entire movement and thrust of the scriptures is moving from a a separation of earth from heaven, moving to their reunification in the new heavens and new earth. This reconciling of heaven and earth This is what Jesus teaches us to pray. Vertical relationship, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, your heavenly kingdom come, on earth as it is in heaven. We pray, every time we pray the Lord's Prayer, for heaven and earth to be reconciled, to be drawn back, and for earth to experience the regenerating power of the presence of God, initially through his Spirit, but one day, With God, the intensity of God's presence, like we have never experienced. We also pray for the horizontal dimension, for daily bread and forgiveness, relationship with creation, relationship with one another. The scriptures reveal that the goal to which the history of this creation is moving, human history included, is the unifying of heaven and earth over which God reigns supreme. This is the vision we see at the end of Revelation when the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem, descends and becomes a city on earth. Heaven and earth are one at the end of the scriptures. That is the ultimate aim of God's work of creation and new creation, not to eliminate earth for heaven's sake, but to join heaven and earth as one new, renewed, regenerated creation. And here's the point I want us to get this morning and take away. This work of reconciling heaven and earth has already begun in us. It has already begun in us, those who are born of water and the Spirit. And God commissions us to continue that work of reconciliation in all areas of human endeavor. Because we're born again through water and the Spirit, and joined up in this creation-wide regeneration project, that means, and we'll come to this next week, that when we seek to glorify God and live for the good of our neighbors, for the life of our neighbor, for the flourishing of our city, nothing is outside of the bounds of that call because it involves all of life because we are a part of a regeneration project that encompasses everything, everything. When we respond to the gospel in repentance and faith, and when we are baptized and one of their spirit, we are reconciled with God, and that reconciliation begins to heal and mend and grow new life in the horizontal dimensions of our lives as well. Our lives then become advanced signs, living billboards of God's coming new creation kingdom where heaven and earth are reconciled in fullness and are made one, where God dwells with his people. Verse 3 and 4, I think of Revelation 21, the voice from the throne calls out, I, God, will dwell with his people. I will be their God and they will be my people. I will wipe away every tear. I will do away with every pain and sorrow. For I will be in the midst and I will dwell with them. That's the reconciliation that we experience now in part, and we move toward. The, the, church, the aim of the church is to move towards and to work towards that reconciliation, moving out from our lives and encompassing all of creation. This cosmic regeneration and reconciliation has already begun and continues in us. The rebirth of conversion that makes us citizens of God's kingdom and members of his household involves becoming active participants in the mission of God to reclaim his good creation and to cleanse it and restore it, making it new. We'll talk next week about the dangers in contemporary Christianity that this addresses, but we'll save that for next week. But you might be wondering, what in the world does this have to do then with seeking the glory of God and the life, the good, the flourishing of our neighbors and our city? And the answer is everything. It has everything to do with it. And we'll look at that next week. As we close this morning, the scriptures challenge us to open our imaginations to the gospel call and demand on our lives. Not just a part of them, but the totality of our lives. Not just our life in our home and the totality of it with inside of our home, but the life in every sphere of our existence, whether in the home, in our workplace. In society, in politics, in economy, every every human endeavor, every part of our lives together, the gospel has a demand and a call for us. In Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit, God the Father is redeeming and reclaiming every square inch of creation and human existence as his own and for his own glory. For his own. He did not make creation For anything else, other than for his own glory, for his own sake. As a Christian, I want you all to listen to this. We need to to let this sink in. As a Christian, you are a vital, each one of you, you are a vital God redeemed participant in the mission of God from creation to new creation. And as we look at Next week, this changes everything because it draws everything into orbit around that magnetic center of the gospel. The good news that in Jesus, God's kingdom is here. And if you can do anything between now and next week as we continue this, this is really two thoughts brought across two weeks. Ask God to expand your imagination about what the demand and the call of his good news is on your life in every sphere of life. Ask him to give you sight to see the kingdom. Ask him to give you ears to hear its, its resonance in all of creation and the sound of the Spirit calling us into new endeavors and to deepen those ones we are already doing, not for our own sakes, but for the sake of God's glory and for the sake of the life of our neighbors and the good of this city.